morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. A little fresher this morning, I tell you. Toronto Blue Jays games against the Los Angeles Dodgers. A little nicer when they're at 4 p.m. If you host the morning show and a little nicer when the Blue Jays win 8-1. So it's nice and stress-free. No Mitch White, no bullpen meltdown, no down to the wire. That is the first time in a little while the Blue Jays have had a game that didn't come down to the the final innings, the the high leverage spots. Uh, of course, not every game a one-run game over the eight that preceded it, but most of them against the Padres and the Mariners and the Dodgers had been very, very close. Yesterday is the type of game when you think about, hey, every bullpen has to work a lot. How do you lessen the toll on the bullpen in modern baseball where starters only go five innings sometimes? A couple ways you can do that. First is have Yusei Kikuchi go six instead. Let him throw 103 pitches, the most pitches he's thrown as a Toronto Blue Jay. Uh, also, the most batters he's been allowed to face in a game since June of 2021. He faced 26 batters yesterday, went almost three full times through the order, uh, and he warranted it, not just because the bullpen was banged up, but because he was very, very good. Eight strikeouts, two walks, one earned over six innings. So one way you can lessen the toll in the bullpen is ask your starters to go a little longer. The other is, even if you've got to use them, lower the leverage. I'm not saying that a player like Jay Jackson, who is still fighting for a firm foothold in his major league career, is going to go out there and throw anything less than 100% in a situation he's called on. I think the mental toll and the ability to be pitch efficient and maybe pitch to weak contact and things like that for a bullpen as a whole is a bit easier if you have a five-run lead and then a seven-run lead. The Jays did both of those things yesterday. They got a little bit more from Yusei Kikuchi. They got one and two-thirds from Jay Jackson, who just refuses to allow runs if your name isn't Aaron Judge. Tim Meza called on very briefly to help him get out of a, a bit of a, a minor spot, and then Trevor Richards cleans it up. On the hitting side... Uh, another three-hit game for Bo Bichette. That slump he was in feels well behind us. He's got seven hits over the last two games. Uh, now back to a league-leading hit total at 137, a hit total that is on pace right now to threaten the Blue Jays' franchise record of 215 hits in a season set by Vernon Wells. Uh, he also now has 39 multi-hit games, which is tied for third in baseball. Uh, he is he's fallen off the pace he was on before where he was, he, he seemed very likely to break the blue Jays franchise record of 65 multi-hit games in a season, but it's still within reach. He's also tied for first with Louisa rise in all of baseball with 14, three hit games. Uh, the blue Jays franchise record of 22, three hit games firmly in his grasps over the final 60 or so here. Also got a home run from Danny Jansen as he stays hot. Wasn't even a high leverage spot. What are you doing, Danny Jansen? Uh, Whit Merrifield hits his fifth home run in the last 17 games as part of a two-hit day. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has another two-hit day. Vlad's a funny one because two-hit day, it, it is hard to frame a two-hit day as anything but good. And we talk about, you know, where's Vlad's stat line for the season, is he hot right now or are we lowering the ball, the, the the bar too low? By the way, over his last 27, he's got an 883 OPS. That's that's solid, but that should be the expectation, not considered a hot streak. Anyway, Vlad's OPS on the season came into yesterday at 799, which I think everyone would agree is a little below where we expected, a little below where it needs to be for this Toronto Blue Jays team. 
But you go two for five with two singles, that's at 800 OPS. So he has a quote-unquote good day, and the OPS needle doesn't move. Uh, There was a lot going on around baseball in general yesterday, including the Los Angeles Angels first leaking that they're not trading Shohei Otani and then making sure everyone was very, very aware of it, trading two prospects for rentals in Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez. Uh, We will talk a lot about that throughout the show, not just because it's deadline time, but because the Los Angeles angels are a meaningful player in the wild card race that the blue Jays are also a part of the angels sit four back of the blue Jays right now in that wild card race, but they've got, I mean, they've got two new pitchers that that's a nice step in the right direction. They've got a double header with the Detroit tigers today and a note within that because of the rain out because of the double header today, Shohei Otani is going to start today, not at Rogers center this weekend. So if you are a fan who wanted to see Shohei pitch, I'm sorry, you will no longer get to do that. If you are a fan who only wanted to see Shohei hit and see the Blue Jays have a better chance at winning those games, uh, well, you're in luck. That's how it's going to play out. So we'll talk to a few guests throughout the show about the Shohei trickle down, about what it signals to the wild card race that the Angels are firmly in. Does a team like the Toronto Blue Jays react to that or think differently? Do teams like the New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox who are also out of the wild card spot right now, but but a little closer than the Angels. Does it change their thinking? Are the Chicago White Sox selling off everything from here or just expiring deals? Uh, we've got Robert Murray from Fanside coming up a little later. We'll talk to Shai Davidi. Mike Petriello of MLB.com is coming on. Uh, a little after 11, Riley Breckenridge is going to join us. He is the drummer from Thrice, but he's also uh, the former host of the Productive Outs podcast, a huge Angels fan who has been quite critical of Artie Moreno over the years, um, and justifiably so, very curious to hear his take on Moreno uh, not only trading prospects for help now, but potentially putting the Angels into the tax spending for the first time ever. Uh, loaded show. Lots to talk about. First, we bring in our favorite guest, Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. Good morning, Caitlin. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am good. I'm uh, I'm better rested than I was yesterday, and I'm ready for deadline craziness. Are you ready for deadline craziness. I'm always ready for deadline craziness. Um, I like that we're at home this year. I think last year we were in Tampa. Um, it will, nothing will ever beat the 2021 deadline though. When like the blue Jays return to Canada for like the first time in a year and also the trade deadline. So it won't be as crazy as that. At least I, I, my favorite trade deadline um, has been, in recent years, the 2019 one, that was one where a couple days ahead of the trade deadline, we were both working at the athletic at the time. And you were already ahead in Kansas city where the Jays were spending the deadline. So I was filling in for you the day that Marcus Stroman got traded for Anthony K and Simeon Woods Richardson and everything went dramatic. And uh, yeah, I almost got bowled over by Marcus Stroman and his handler buddy there. The clubhouse got shut down and everything like that. Um, Caitlin, I, I bring that up to ask, uh, obviously we all enjoy the, the chaos of this next little bit as a, a beat writer or a radio person. You know, I've been in both of those roles on a couple different sports. There's no really better time until you get to the playoffs. Uh, however, a notable difference in how much you enjoy this next week when you're covering a team that is a buyer versus a potential seller. I was actually thinking about that um, today because it's been a few years in a row now that they've obviously been buyers. And I actually feel like covering a seller is somewhat more fun um, in some ways. Like I feel like there's 
more you can do because the sort of speculation part of it is kind of easier on your end um, in the sense that, like, at least you kind of know who will be going. And I think you can kind of do some interesting stories, too, about, like, oh, this guy's last start. Like, I remember writing a lot about, like, Marcus Stroman's potentially last start and, like, Jay Happ's potential last start and, like, things like that. Um, you can kind of connect with a little bit, whereas, like, when you're covering a buyer, like, you're just sort of waiting for things to happen, and then you can react. Um, but in the Blue Jays' case this year especially, like, their needs are kind of, like, not fluid, but, like, there's just not something huge or overarching. Like, I think you could ask one person and they would say pitching is the priority. And I think another person maybe would say like a bat's a priority. Like it's, there's nothing super obvious. It's not like they need like a frontline starter exactly. And they're going to be going for like, you know, this guy or whatever um, the way it was a couple years ago, we're in like traded for Jose Brios. Um, so this year it's been um, particularly kind of challenging just because I feel like the Blue Jays needs are, um, they're there, but there's nothing super obvious or exactly pressing. And I think they could go a couple of ways. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And obviously, if you're the Blue Jays front office, that's a great place to be, right? Liking your foundational pieces and looking at the market and saying, look, there are a couple different ways we can make this team better. As long as we make the team better, we're comfortable with that. We don't have to move heaven and earth for this specific thing. We can just see what comes to us. You know, let the game come to you and improve the team. But from our perspective, yeah, I've got a list here of players that read uh, listeners and people on Twitter sent in uh, as potential trade targets. And it's almost 60 players long. I can't exactly spin out a, an article of, Hey, let's break down these 60 potential trade targets. Uh, like we could, if maybe the Jays firmly needed uh, a starting pitcher, Caitlin, I'm going to circle back to the deadline in a minute here, but I want to talk about last night's game. The Jays win eight to one. Um, we can talk a lot about the Jays starting pitching. And obviously they have a, a clear number three, a clear top three in that rotation hierarchy, some questions with Manoa, some questions with the soon to be returning Hyunjin Ryu. Yusei Kikuchi yesterday gives them not his very best start of the season, but probably the one that builds the most confidence with John Schneider and Pete Walker. They let him go over a hundred pitches. 103 pitches is the most he's ever thrown as a blue Jay. It was the most batters. The blue Jays have ever let him face a third time through the order. Uh, obviously that was done more from need than wanting to extend Yusei Kikuchi just to see it. But do you think uh, an outing like that and just generally how he's been over the last couple, um, could we see a longer leash for Yusei Kikuchi moving forward? Well, yeah. I mean, yesterday was really impressive. Um, you know, I'd put it up there as one of his best starts against uh, with the Blue Jays, and especially because it came against the Dodgers. Like, that's a pretty um, tough lineup to, to get through. Um, obviously, we've seen how much firepower the Dodgers have the way that they can sort of, like, come back very quickly, turn it around in one inning. So he did a really good job, completely just, like, calm and unfazed out there, especially knowing, like, he probably went into that kind of knowing, like, the leash is going to be longer here, and I have a chance to pitch longer. You know, he wants to stay out there longer, and obviously the Blue Jays have the reasons for shortening the leash with him a little bit. But he did kind of everything they needed um, and more, really keeping the game, um, you know, giving it to the bullpen. After six innings, and that was basically all they needed from him. So I do think it's a confidence-building outing. Um, and I, do, I do think that, you know, it shows that he can get through a pretty tough lineup. He can throw 100 pitches, and 
He can, um, you know, battle. He's been really good this year. Like, I mean, remember last year, it's like if, if you guys got, got on base, like things would just spiral for him. Like, um, you know, the walks would um, start getting out of control or he'd give up a big home run. And like this year, he's been really good at, um, you know, not overreacting or not getting phased by having guys on base. He's really been able to sort of bear down and like, um, you know, strike a guy out or get a double play ball or whatever it may be. Um, and so I think it is confidence building. And, you know, I think you talk about like upcoming, like what are they going to do um, when they do have six starters? Um, and after probably going through a six man rotation, maybe a turn or two during that really busy stretch they have with 17 games in 17 days, like they will have to make a decision. And so maybe the next handful of starts will be really meaningful for Kikuchi in that way. And also probably for Manoa and Hunjin Ryu. I mean, those are probably the three guys that are sort of on the bubble in the sense of like, who's going to stay in the rotation and who potentially could be moved. And, you know, I think Kikuchi really like this year is done everything and more to kind of prove that he is worthy of a rotation spot. He's, he's been exactly what you want in a number five starter. Sure. There's been a few hiccups here and there, but like compared to what he was last year, I mean, it's kind of night and day with him. And so, um, you know, I think that that Dodger start was a really um, good confidence boost. And I do think the next few for him will also be really important just to show like, Hey, like I'm not a guy that you should move out of the rotation. Like I, I can handle this, um, and I'm a really good option for you guys. I agree, and even you know, even in that sixth inning there, where he did give up a, a double and a single, the double to Chris Taylor wasn't a very good pitch, but this single James Outman hits is 95, located low and away, like just a hair of the strike zone caught with that one, and you just kind of got to tip your hat at Outman taking it the other way, and then still has enough juice to the final batter to get his eighth strikeout and, and do his. I, I'm not sure if you saw on the replay, Caitlin, his little kind of strikeout celebration pose there uh, on the mound clearly still had the stuff right to right to the very end there and if anyone's curious the numbers on the year and these run the risk of chopping small samples into even smaller samples but third time through the order Kikuchi actually has better numbers now than he does the first and second time through the order and, and that's it's also worth noting that hey your third time through the order you face the top of the order first so that data set is skewed heavier toward better hitters so uh, just a 726 OPS against third time through the order uh, Caitlin you mentioned within there that Hyunjin Ryu could be back soon uh, Alec Manoa still in the rotation and pitching Saturday this weekend um, where's your excitement level to see Ryu back on, on a major league mound and, and we can leave aside you know, some of the six man rotation complications and things like that. Uh, for now, it, it just seems like, um, you know, you as someone who's around this team every day, who's been around Hyunjin Ryu for four years now, that's got to be a big boost. You, we talked about earlier, you know, the story potential around trade deadline. If you're a seller, if you're a buyer, uh, the Hyunjin Ryu down the stretch story potential has to be through the roof. Yeah, I know. It's like, I remember writing last year, um, not sort of unfairly, like, have we seen um, Hunjin Ryu throw his last pitch as a Blue Jay? Because, you know, I think he had surgery in June of last year. And you know that Tommy John typically is like, you know, 12 months minimum. And then um, you have to account for his age and any complications that might arise. Um, and it wasn't sort of like out of the realm of possibility that he wouldn't have been ready to go. Like if there had any, been any sort of setback. Um, or anything like, you know, it is pretty late in the season. He's coming back. It's presumably going to be August um, when he does pitch um, just where we are on the calendar. So um, 
it is it is awesome. Like I think that it's been nice to see him back around the team. He looks great. Um, you know, I'm sure people have noticed that he's lost a ton of weight. Um, he looks like really fit. And um, you know, haven't basically seen him pitch yet, other than just like reading his lines in AAA and maybe seeing a few like highlights and stuff here um, that that is posted. But you know, I'm excited to watch him pitch just because like he's such a unique pitcher. Like he was so kind of fun to watch when he was dominant. Um, admittedly, like it was like I didn't get to see him that much. If you think back, like 2020 was weird. Um, that was his best year with the Jays. And then, like, uh, we didn't, you know, I was watching that off TV, basically. And then by the time we were around the team more in person, like, he was struggling a little bit. Obviously, you know, he still had his good outings and stuff like that. But I'm kind of excited just to, like, see him pitch in person again um, and, like, hopefully see him healthy and kind of thriving because clearly, like, last year the arm wasn't where it should be. Um, He was obviously feeling pain and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's nice. Um, it's a nice story. It's a nice way to sort of wrap up his time as a Blue Jay. Um, you know, it was more complicated than anyone would have anticipated, um, somewhat of his health and somewhat because of just like global world events. Um, but yeah, it'll be nice to kind of like tie a bow on his career um, with the Blue Jays and just like see him make a few starts at home and make a few starts down the stretch. And hopefully he can be really effective for the Blue Jays because. Um, that just makes the story even better. I'm sure the first question, maybe not the very first question, but one of the first questions that will be asked of John Schneider tomorrow, uh, the team back at Rogers Center coming off of an off day that Friday, John Schneider media session tends to be the biggest and newsiest uh, of the homestand. Uh, I'd imagine one of the things he's going to be asked is, okay, Hyunjin Ryu threw a side session on Wednesday in LA. Uh, how did he look? And when is he re-entering the rotation? And the follow-up will be, well, six man rotation for this 17 day stretch, at least once, maybe twice through the order. Um, we've had a lot of time to sit with that and kick it around. And Caitlin, I know the Jays have basically been operating with a seven man bullpen because you can't use Mitch White unless you're throwing in the, the towel on a on a 10th inning uh, game late at night on the road. Um, the option to do that, I, and who knows, maybe these, this thing resolves itself, but how are you feeling about the idea of a six-man rotation twice through and asking that bullpen to just carry a little bit more load for just another couple weeks here for them? Yeah, I mean, like on the one hand, you're getting maybe some extra rest for your starters. Um, so that's a pro. But then, yeah, like maybe the con of that is, are you going to be pushing an already kind of tacked bullpen um, a little too much, especially when you don't know what you're going to get from Ryu. Like you really hope that he can give you, you know, five innings at least, maybe six. Um, but what if he can't? And then, you know, what if you have an outing where, you know, Manoa isn't able to go deep or like, you know, even maybe the odd one where like Bassett doesn't go super deep. Like then you're, you know, those things can happen. It's not like the six um, man rotation automatically like makes your rotation better or makes um, it just gives you an extra guy, but you don't know what that guy is going to give you on any given day. Um, and so, yeah, you do run the risk of um, taxing a bullpen that is already looking pretty tired and, is going to be pitching or is going to be, you know, in that stretch with the team as well, 17 and 17. So, you know, maybe if they make some trades at the deadline, acquire a reliever to that cycle fresher, um, maybe that helps them a little bit. I don't know. Maybe a guy goes on the aisle briefly with like arm fatigue or whatever they want to call it. Um, and you can kind of get by doing that. 
Um, I'm not sure, like, what the team will do. But I, I do think that is, like, something that they're probably, like, weighing. And, you know, on, on the one hand, like, I do think it's important to get rest for, like, Kevin Gosman and Chris Bassett and Jose Brios and, and Kikuchi because those guys have been your floor that have going have been going all year. Um, and, you know, you want them to be as fresh as possible, especially for, you know, September when you're basically going to be probably playing for your playoff life and um, going to be playing your division almost exclusively. So you really want them good then. Um, but you also need your bullpen then too, and you don't want to tax them too much. Um, so these are all things that the team is probably talking about. And, you know, they have a lot more information than I do, and they, they plan out these things. They map out these things there. They wouldn't do a six-man rotation if they weren't comfortable with it. Um, but like you said, like, it's not really operating any differently mm-hmm. Um, with the bullpen, like it's basically been a seven man bullpen um, for the reasons that you stated. And so, you know, I do think that like maybe getting a fresh arm in there um, would help. Um, and like I said, maybe some guy hits the aisle. I don't know. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you can do that. Two teams do that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think that, you know, there, there's pros, there's cons to it. I do think we'll see it happen. And you just kind of hope that when you have those six guys in the rotation, they're giving you pretty lengthy outings. That 17 games in 17 days stretch also includes uh, a lot of big, 10 pretty big ones. You got the angels for three who are champing at you uh, for, for the wild card. You've got four against the Orioles who you're trying to chase in the American league East and then three against the Red Sox where who knows, maybe you could put them out of their wild card misery uh, at that point. So a pretty big stretch here, whatever they decide to do. And Caitlin, I know you wrote about last week, how this team still firmly has its eyes on winning the division. You say Kikuchi mentioned that last night as well. Uh, also just wanted to mention we're, we're not going to touch on it here, but your, your piece, the blue Jays are having a good season. So why hasn't it quite felt that way that went up at the athletic the other day was terrific. I thought struck a lot of the notes that we've been trying to grasp at here here on this show as well so everyone should go check that out uh we pivot now to deadline time caitlin because uh it is coming up it's a couple days away this is probably the last time we'll talk to you before the deadline and your colleague ken rosenthal at the athletic today uh, or yesterday had a you know a piece going through who are some of the executives around baseball with the most pressure on them the most eyeballs on them at this deadline and Toronto Blue Jays general manager Ross Atkins was not on that list. And that surprised me a little bit, not because I necessarily think he's on the hot seat, but this is the fourth year of the Jays, you know, being at least 2020, you know, maybe you could call it semi trying to be competitive, but this is firmly the third year of them being ready to win. Uh, You have guys like Vlad and Boer getting more expensive. You have four pending free agents uh, on the position player side uh, that, you know, it, it does feel like a pretty big win now season. Were you a little surprised? Surprised that Ken didn't have Ross Atkins on, on his list of, hey, these are the guys who, you know, industry's got their eye on these next couple of days. Yeah, kind of. I mean, looking at the list, um, there's a lot of names that, like, I totally would expect to be on there. Like, obviously, you know, Cashman um, with the Yankees, is always, he's always on, under pressure. Um, and, you know, Angels GM, you have uh, Cardinals GM, like all these guys. And it's like, you understand um, why they have a lot to do, or they're just in markets where there's like a ton of pressure. I, I, to some extent, I feel like maybe it just goes back to the thing where like the Blue Jays season is good. And like, I think when you're like not covering it on a day-to-day basis, um, you're probably like looking at their record and you're like, okay, like they're in a wild card spot. Their record's pretty good. Like I see some guys are having great seasons. Oh, look, Bo's having a great season. So it's kind of like, I feel like maybe like if you're not 
totally like watching them every day, you're probably like, oh, they're fine. Like they're going to make some moves and it's going to be fine. They're a playoff team. And I feel like for the reasons I stated in that piece that you mentioned, it's like, yeah, but like when you're watching them every day and you're watching them like every single game is like 3-2, it feels like it's a little bit more tensier than maybe um, people from the outside are necessarily aware of, which is totally understandable. You know, I, I do think there's some pressure on the Blue Jays in the sense that like, this is, you know, their window is right now. And, like, you know, I know people sort of look at it in the sense of, like, when are Bo and Vlad scheduled to be free agents? Like, that's kind of the window, and it extends um, to there, which is a couple more years. But, you know, I think you could look at it another way and say, well, like, you traded for Matt Chapman a year ago for two years. He's going to be gone after this year. You traded for Whit Merrifield last year. He's going to be probably gone after this year. I know he has an option, um, but, you know, I'm not sure that that would get picked up. Um, you know, you signed Brandon Belt for one year. That was this year. You signed Kevin Kiermeyer for one year. That was this year. So, like, yeah, it's not like this is the one year. Like, it will extend beyond this. Like, you have Kevin Gosman for a few more years. You signed Chris Bassett only last offseason for three years. So, like, yes, the window continues to be open after this. But, I mean, this is one of the prime years it is open. And I think part of that is because of, like, the guys I mentioned, the one-year deals, and Matt Chapman especially. Um, and so I do think there's some pressure um, on the Jays to do something to augment this group to – um, give it the little boost that it might need so that we can look at the season and say, you know, this was a great season. It wasn't just the Blue Jays um, doing good enough, you know, getting into the playoffs, but then sort of bowing out quickly. Like, I think you really need them to make some noise in the playoffs. Well, you need them to get to the playoffs, and then you really need them to make some noise in the playoffs. Like, I don't think fans are going to be satisfied with, um, you know, a wild card series where they lose. So I do think there's a lot of pressure on the Blue Jays um, because there's so much potential in this group. You're going to have another year where, you know, Bo's probably going to get MVP votes and Kevin Gosman's probably going to get Cy Young votes and you're having all these great individual seasons. And maybe as a collective, though, it's not quite coming together as consistently as you want for this club. And so you have two months um, for that to happen. And, you know, maybe it is just a matter of a few um, a few complimentary pieces here and there that gives the Blue Jays that sort of extra push they need. So, Caitlin, that is well said, and, and I, I agree with it. Now I have to I have to do the thing that we do this week on this show, which is uh, put you on the spot. Any are are there any names? And again, I, I joked off the top. You know, the list is sixty names long that people have suggested, so we don't need to go through all of them. But as you have thought about where the Jays could add and, you know, talk to your athletic colleagues and things like that about who could be available. Are there any names that, that have floated to kind of top of mind for you, players that, and I'm not asking you to report players that the Jays are in on. I'm asking you your take players you think could be a fit in terms of what the Jays need and what the asking price might be. Yeah. In terms of like a bat, like I know um, like Tim Anderson, that name was sort of popular a couple of days ago. I saw um, sort of feeling some questions about him and he's not having a good year at all um, really with the White Sox but I mean his numbers against lefties are actually still really good um, and you know I think one of the things that Blue Jays um, well maybe they won't come out and say exactly this is what they want but I do think like in terms of the, the bat they're probably looking for someone who's experienced um, more of a veteran type player someone who's um, not going to be afraid to come up in big moments, whether it is like a pinch hit or whatever it may be. Um, but I did see kind of reporting yesterday. I think it was, you know, Saris um, kind of said that 
like the White Sox might not be willing to sort of just fold um, completely. Like they're going to trade their rentals as they've already started to do. But um, maybe Tim Anderson, I think he has an option for next year. So like maybe he's not a person they're looking to trade. Um, I know I joked with you before we came on air, like Randall Grichuk, um, mm. which is funny because um like obviously he's a former Blue Jay. I actually think the fit would be kind of interesting. I mean, again, his numbers are good against lefties, and um, you know, at the trade deadline and, and a trade, like it can be kind of jarring for players. Like if they're um, suddenly, you know, on one team to the other. Like remember last year, like Witt um, had a really tough time when he first got to Toronto. He had been in Kansas City for a really long time. He was um, suddenly thrust into a new team that was unfamiliar, a new market that was unfamiliar, and he was in a new role that was like kind of unfamiliar for him too. And it took him a, quite a long time to adjust. And really, he's only kind of gotten used to everything this year. And so I think like if you trade for a guy like Randall, like he knows, like he he knows Toronto, he knows the team, he knows the stadium, he knows his way around. Like it actually could sort of be a fit in the sense that like you're not necessarily having to deal with a guy that has like this huge adjustment period. I mean, obviously it would be somewhat of an adjustment because he's been living in Colorado for the yeah. last couple of years, but like you kind of do eliminate some of that, like, Oh, he's not going to know anyone. He has to get, he, you know, has to know people's names and stuff like that. Like he would know the training staff. He would know the chefs. He would know the security. Like it would be like, um, you know, a nice reunion. So um, that one is kind of interesting to me. And the Blue Jays have like traded for guys multiple times before, or like they've brought in guys back. Um, before, so I don't think it's totally out of the realm. Um, you you never really know what the Rockies are going to do. That would be one thing that um, I would say. And then, you know, on the pitching side, I've kind of gone back and forth. Like a couple weeks ago, I was really more like, they need a starter. Like, uh, you know, the, the rotation makes me nervous. I think there's too many question marks. And you know, now I, I don't know if I'm just like easing up on that, or like maybe I'm just you know charmed by the Ryu comeback or something like that. Where I'm like, I don't know, maybe. Like maybe they don't need a starter. Like maybe it will get things will get too crowded um, if they're looking for a starter. So I mean I think they they do probably need a bullpen arm. There's so many out there. Like you could just list off so many guys. Um, probably a lefty would be interesting. Um, you know to look for. And um, you know Michael Lorenzen from the Tigers is like a guy that I think is really interesting fit. Obviously he can start. He's been a starter this year, but he has the experience as a bullpen arm and as a believer. So he's a guy that I think is um, really interesting and could be a really good fit because he could give you legs from the bullpen. And I think that really, like, if you're looking to upgrade the bullpen, like, you need to upgrade, like, a Mitch White type because like, you really don't have that right now. And so that's a guy that really intrigues me because he does give you some of that protection um, from a starting perspective, but he also can give you legs from the bullpen. He's clearly comfortable in that role as well. And so that's a name that I really um, – think could fit for the Blue Jays. Also a guy who's done a pretty good job over the last couple of years keeping the ball in the park, which is something, hey, as good as this bullpen's been, that's not a, a strength of theirs. So someone who can, you know, keep the ball on the ground a little bit, potentially a, a fit with the the other pieces they have here as we look at, you know, the Jays love to mix up the styles and, you know, hey, this this guy against this pocket of the order with this swing plane and all that stuff. Uh, someone with a little bit of a different uh, mix there like Lorenzen could make sense. Uh, Kayla McGrath, thank you so much for taking the time out. Enjoy the Shohei show this weekend. I'll see you down at the park. Awesome. Sounds good. See you. Kayla McGrath of The Athletic. Make sure you go check out all of her trade deadline work there. I mentioned uh, a really great piece on why, despite the Jays being good, it hasn't really felt that way this year. Uh, and then a, a ton of great trade deadline stuff already up and I'm sure to come 
over the next couple of days. A little bit of a note that the Jays released some new information on what the continued renovations of Rogers Center uh, will be and will look like next year. You can go to to Twitter and see people tweeting out those since this is a radio show and I can't uh, actively describe it to you. Uh, But the biggest thing to note is down the right field and left field lines, uh, there is less foul ground and more kind of in the action seats. First of all, it looks like a cooler spot to watch a game now than the foul lines do uh, currently. But worth noting that so far this year, Rogers Center has played more pitcher-friendly than hitter-friendly. Now, the Jays thought it would play neutral. I had kind of run some quick, dirty simulations that said it might play a little more pitcher-friendly. Some MLB.com simulations said, hey, it's going to play a little bit more hitter-friendly. If you shrink the foul territory, which they are absolutely doing, there there will be less square footage of foul territory. That, without question, increases your offensive environment. That is foul balls that are playable for fielders that are now just strikes or fouls. Um, around baseball, less foul territory means a little bit more offense, buys hitters an extra chance here and there. So maybe that's something that equalizes the Blue Jays' new park back to roughly neutral, maybe even hitter-friendly. Something to keep an eye on. We got to keep an eye on trade deadline stuff. Also, of course, uh, let's take a break. Let's bring in fan-sided insider Robert Murray uh, on the other side to talk about what the Shohei situation now is with the Angels firmly in buy mode and how that Lucas Giolito deal could trickle down uh, not only to the rest of the rental market, but for teams like the Toronto Blue Jays who now have to fend off a stronger Los Angeles Angels team. Robert Murray joins us next on Jays Talk Plus on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. We are a handful of days out from the trade deadline here. Uh, I usually forget what day it is on this show. So uh, saying what number of days out we are, but we're close. Robert Murray, MLB insider at Fansided is on top of everything. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at by Robert Murray uh, over at Fansided. Uh, what I'm hearing ahead of the MLB trade deadline went up yesterday. And then half the things in that article were not only proven to be correct, but proven to be correct with the swiftness as uh, the deadline season picks up in earnest yesterday. Robert, good morning. How you doing, buddy? Hey, good morning. It's great to be here with you guys. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm excited for... The days to come, the action, I mean, yesterday wasn't the first trade ever, but it certainly started to pick up. For anyone who missed it, the Angels pretty firmly saying Shohei's off the table, pushing in two of their top 10 and arguably top five prospects for a pair of rentals from the Chicago White Sox in Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez. Um, Robert, the reverberations of this one, what what was the, the chatter yesterday? What was the feeling? And, you know, had we gotten to a point where we were expecting the Angels to be this aggressive or, or was this, um, you know, a, a little bit of a, a surprise? a surprise in the timing of the the trade. I don't think anyone could have necessarily expected the trade to happen last night, but as soon as in recent days, the angels had started making more phone calls and engaging in teams and trying to add. And that was a pretty good indication that Shohei Otani was not going to be traded. And as soon as the Tom Verducci report went out, 
that Otani was staying and then that they were targeting a starting pitcher and reliever. It immediately put the Angels as probably the team to watch in baseball, and they ended up making the trade last night for Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, and that was a pretty hefty price to pay. Like Giving up two of your top five prospects for two rentals was a pretty eye-opening move and something that caught the attention of a lot of teams around the league. But I can confidently say that there is competition for Giolito. He's the best starting pitcher on the market. Um, there was plenty of teams involved. And wouldn't you know it, the San Diego Padres were one of those teams that were involved. Like, they were they were absolutely eyeing Giolito. Obviously came up short. Uh, I would not expect the Angels to be done by any means. I think this is only the beginning for them. Actually, they made, they made a couple of trades before this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it just continues their aggressiveness. And it makes you wonder exactly what the Padres are going to do if they're already targeting Giolito when most people think they should be sellers. Yeah, and they're six and a half games out of a wild card spot here, five games below 500. Looked when they were visiting us here in Toronto last week that they might be starting to turn things around. But as they've done all year, they they kind of hover right back down to uh, that level just a little below 500. So they're fascinating to watch over the next couple of days. So is this Angels team you mentioned. You don't think they're done. Um, you know, maybe the most surprising part of this trade to me, unless there's there are more details we haven't quite heard yet, is for the first time uh, the Angels Angels are right now penciled into the competitive balance tax. They're, they're over that tax line. But if they're going for it, if they're trying to keep Shohei and trying to make a playoff push here, yes, they're going to get Mike Trout back at some point. But this is a team that still has uh, some serious needs. Where would you expect the Angels to be aggressive these next couple of days, having now added, you know, a, a number two, maybe even number one starter type, depending on, you know, exactly how you want to pencil that rotation up? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, and the answer that I've gotten from the Angels is that they're going to be creative, and they're going to be open-minded to anything, and that could mean adding a bat, that could mean adding another starting pitcher. I personally think it's going to end up being another bat that they target. Uh, we got to see John Morosi last night connecting to Heimer Candelario with the Washington Nationals, and that's a bit that certainly makes sense. It sounds like they've placed a lot of phone calls around the league, and it, it's I would not necessarily rule anything out with the Angels. I don't know if they can make a big move by any means because their farm system is pretty um, – I mean, tra- that trade last night took a, a good portion of their top prospects out of the equation. Uh, but from every indication that I've gotten, Perry Manassi and their general manager is going to be aggressive and looking for a bat. And considering that they're already over the luxury tax now, it certainly seems like Artie Marino is aligned with that thinking as well. So you, you mentioned, uh, again, the, the prospect capital in that trade. A pair of rentals and the Angels taking on about $5 million in salary the rest of the way, giving up two pretty good prospects, you know, um, depending on where you ask, a 50-grade future potential and a 40-grade and future potential. So um, for a Blue Jays fan, the, the comparable might be an Addison Barger type as the high-end item. And then, you know, the Jays have some depth in the, in the 40 future value range, but an Adrian Pinto, uh, uh, Hayden Yang, or something like that uh, as the second piece. Given that they gave up two pretty spicy prospects for rentals, do you see that having an effect on the market for expiring guys the, the next little bit? Or was Giolito too much of an outlier in terms of value to really, you know, think this has a market impact? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good case of both things. Like Giolito is the cream of the crop in terms of the starting pitching class, but the overall trade market is about as bare as I can remember at my time in baseball. It is uh, pretty pretty depleted. There is not much out there in terms of high-end talent. 
And I think the prices around the league and, and trades that are going to be made are going to be a lot higher than, than what they have been in the in years past. And it's why I think some of these teams should certainly entertain selling if they're on the fence. Uh, like I, there's one team in particular who I think is going to look to add, but it wouldn't surprise me if they traded one of their starting pitchers, and that's the San Francisco Giants, considering the starting pitching market really doesn't have much. And they have three veteran guys in, in Ross Stripling, Alex Wood, and Anthony Destafini, uh, who could help other teams, and they have the minor league depth um, to, to replace those guys. So it, it, I think the prices are going to end up being pretty high, and it could end up forcing some teams to make some pretty creative trades here in the coming days. And some tough decisions if you're one of those fringy teams, the, the buy or sell discussion maybe comes down to, Hey, what is the, what is the market for your guys? Just how good can it be Uh, on the white Sox side? We've heard a little bit that, you know, with some of the guys they have with term, they're maybe not that eager to move, but I I'd imagine this continues to signal. There'll be sellers on, on the, the kind of rental type Uh, Keenan Middleton, maybe the, the most interesting name left there. Have you heard anything on, on his market and what the white Sox might be looking to do from here? The White Sox are a team that could end up making quite a few trades in, before the deadline is over. And Keenan Middleton, he's one of the better relievers who's available. I certainly expect him to be traded at some point. Uh, Joe Kelly is another one. He had a, a rough outing last night, but he's somebody that has attracted interest uh, from a number of teams, the Los Angeles Dodgers being one of them, uh, the San Francisco Giants being another, the Tampa Bay Rays being another, too. There's been a, a fair amount of interest in him. A guy that I think is the most likely guy to go next for them, I believe, is Lance Wynn. And there's a number of teams in there as well. The Rays are in. But as of yesterday, nothing was close. I think those reports were pretty overblown. Uh, The Texas Rangers are actually a quiet suitor there as well. And wouldn't you know, with the trade deadline, there's always a case of a mystery team. (laughs) I believe believe there's a mystery team in on Lance Wynn. that is a pretty serious suitor. I don't know who that team is, hence why it's a mystery. Um, but there's there's quite a bit of interest there, and I think he's going to be the next guy to go. But every indication I've gotten is that the Giolito trade was basically a precursor to what's, what's to come for them. That makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. We love a mystery team. It's uh, I mean, it's great. Mystery team is everyone's favorite, second favorite team. You've got the team you root for, and then and then mystery team number two. Um, the Toronto Blue Jays, you know, probably not in a, on a Lance Lynn type, but there are a couple different ways that the Jays could go here at the deadline uh, in, in terms of fortifying this group. Have you heard much in terms of how aggressive the Jays are being, or where they might be focusing that aggression? Yeah, the, the two areas that you've really gotten to hear with the Blue Jays are a right-handed bat and a bullpen piece or like a left-handed guy. Uh, obviously, they ended up adding adding one in Genesis Cabrera with a small trade with the Cardinals last week. Um, but I think they're they're more than open to adding another piece to that bullpen. As far as a right-handed hitter, I can't say I've heard a specific name. I just know they've cast a, a pretty wide net there to see what exactly they can do. But um that's, I think that's an area that the, the organization is targeting pretty uh, pretty aggressively because uh, I think that's probably one of their more pressing needs. So I would expect them to add somebody there. I just don't necessarily know who quite yet. 
Yeah, in terms of in terms of the you know right-handed hitting, whatever outfielder, maybe even infield. The infield market looks looks pretty thin. Uh, the outfield market obviously going to have more names, but but do you have a sense of how competitive it's going to be on, on some of those? You know, I think of like a Lane Thomas type who's become a popular name. Nationals clearly selling, but a handful of teams in playoff spots or fighting for playoff spots seems like everyone other than maybe the Astros could use a right-handed hitting outfield type. Do you expect that to be pretty competitive or are we maybe heading for, hey, there are a, a lot of teams have a, a plan B, a plan C after their top name? Yeah, I think it, it's, it's going to be difficult because there's not that many names that are going to be available. Uh, so, I mean, I think teams are certainly going to have plan Bs, plan Cs, and plan Ds, but I don't know how much further it can go after that. <laughs> so, like a guy like Lane Thomas, he is somebody that the Nationals, they really like. They got him in a... Well, it was basically an afterthought trade a couple of years ago uh, for John Lester, and it, he turned into one of their more productive players, and the trade has turned out to be a steal for them. They value him. Uh, Mike Rizzo, their general manager, was, went on the record last week and said that they consider him an all-star caliber player, which um, they clearly value him, and it would not surprise me at all if they tried to re-sign him in the offseason. So I don't necessarily know if they're just going to give him up because um, they clearly like the player, but... Um, in terms of players available, there is certainly going to be plenty, but there's going to be such a demand and such a small supply that I think the prices could be a lot higher than they were in years past. Yeah, Lane Thomas, an interesting one. He was uh, a part of the Blue Jays system at one point as well, and they had traded him to St. Louis for international bonus slot money. So obviously they'd uh, they'd soured on him a bit there, uh, but an interesting uh, an interesting name for that backstory uh, as well. Robert Murray, uh, keep up all the great work, man. Be, we'll be sure to follow you at by Robert Murray on Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it, and uh, all the great work over at Fansided. Uh, thanks, man. Enjoy the heck out of the the next couple of days here. Thank you very much for having me. Sleep is not going to be had very much by, <laughs> by all of us. But hey, have a great rest of your day. Yeah, that's what the uh, the first weekend in August is for, man. Uh, Robert Murray, at by Robert Murray on Twitter. Uh, MLB Insider at Fansided. Make sure you keep an eye on uh, his notebooks and his tweets over the next little bit. The Blue Jays, by the way, I mentioned had uh, had dealt away uh, Lane Thomas. So he was, a, he was originally a, a fifth-round pick of the Blue Jays in, in 2014. In 2017, they traded him for international bonus slot money. Uh, that was the bonus year that they picked up Eric Pardino, who was, uh, you know, an exciting name at one point. He's now back to, after a million years of injuries, pitching regularly, but not pitching uh, particularly well whatsoever. So uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe you should have just waited uh, the seven years for Lane Thomas to become the guy you're now chasing uh, at the trade deadline, hypothetically. Um, it's also possible that the baseball reference reporting on those, the trade specifics is just not, I mean, when it comes to international bonus pool money, we don't get a, a ton of detail. It's also possible that was money that that kicked to Aravis Martinez in 2018 instead, in which case you would certainly understand uh, a little bit more the need to get aggressive in that bonus pool. Aravis Martinez, who's now up at AAA, and while he potentially factors in to a 2024 Jays roster that could have holes at third base and second base and designated hitter. Um, also notable, he's now up at AAA. He's off to an okay start there. Nothing, nothing wild, but but not bad. Um, probably one of the names the Toronto Blue Jays are fielding calls on when they put out a, a feeler on potential buy now candidates because Revels Martinez still not even 22 and he's at AAA. Um, let's take a break. When we come back. 
We'll talk to you, Shai Davidi. We'll get the uh, a little look inside what the Blue Jays' thinking is right now. We'll hear how his trip to Cooperstown was. Uh, we'll also talk to Riley Breckenridge, drummer in the band Thrice, but also a proprietor of Classic Grit, the baseball clothing band uh, brand, and uh, the host of the Productive Outs baseball podcast. He's a big Angels guy, so we'll uh, we'll set up this weekend series with the Angels and hear a little bit about what it's like after 20 years of on and off frustration to have a direction and, and to have some aggression behind Shohei Otani's potential last two months as a Los Angeles angel. Uh, Mike Petriello joins us in the second hour as well. Shai Davidi next as Jay's talk plus continues on the sports at radio network and sports at three sixty. diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the JD Bunkins podcast, subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That is thrice. We'll talk to Riley Breckenridge, drummer of that band, host of the Productive Outs baseball podcast uh, in a little bit here. First, let's get the pulse of the Toronto Blue Jays here in Toronto ahead of the trade deadline. They've been on the road. Shai Davidi was in Cooperstown, uh, but he'll be your number one guy the next couple days here. Shai, good morning. How are you? How is Cooperstown? Uh, Cooperstown was great. Uh, really nice weekend. Uh, tremendous speeches by both uh, Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland and really nice to see a couple guys who had to wait a while and weren't necessarily sure about uh, their entry into the hall get rewarded, especially Fred, uh, given the long wait and the certainly justifiable case based on his numbers. And uh, I wonder if that may potentially open up a pathway eventually for Carlos Delgado to get recognized. Is I think that would be pretty just as well. That would be uh, that would be all right. It would make for another fun uh, fun Hall of Fame weekend for Toronto Blue Jays fans here around here. Did you get to meet Sandy Koufax? Uh, Sandy Koufax was not there this weekend, unfortunately, ah. so I did not get to meet him. Ah, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I'm sure you also didn't talk to all of these Hall of Famers a ton about what's going on in the trade world, but that's where we pivot now. Uh, where is your excitement level? You're our MLB insider at Sportsnet at Sportsnet.ca. Of course, going to be a lot of you know TV and radio and writing for you over the next couple of days. Uh, are you... You know, are are you still at a point where you really enjoy this next week and the silly season around it? Oh, of course. Look, anytime there's a massive talent readjustment, be it the offseason trade deadline, it's super exciting, right? Like, what are teams going to do? How are they going to go about it? What are the implications? Uh, I'm fascinated by the ins and outs about it, as as everybody else is, which is why it's such a, a hectic period. And, and look, I think we got off to a really uh, interesting start last night with uh, the Angels deciding to add Lucas Giolito. And obviously that means they're not going to make a move on Shohei Otani, which I didn't really expect. And I, I'm not sure. I think everybody was you know, enamored by the idea, but I'm not sure how many people thought it was especially realistic. But you know, the Angels are determined to make themselves a factor, adds a little bit of a uh, a little bit of extra intrigue to the series upcoming series here this weekend. And it's certainly something that the Blue Jays have to consider. Cause look, there's already the, the pressure to kind of catch, you know, Tampa Houston ahead of them with Boston, New York pushing behind them. And now you're going to throw the angels. And I, I, I think the Mariners probably do something more substantial than acquire Trent Thornton as well. So 
uh, it's, it's going to be a pretty interesting mix in the American League. Uh, on the Blue Jays side, will they do anything uh, spicier than uh, acquiring Mason McCoy as uh, as depth at AAA Buffalo? Well, I mean, they'll certainly do something spicier than that. But like, are we talking, uh, you know, a little bit of black pepper? Or are we talking like chilies, right? Ghost peppers. Yeah, I think that's that. That's the that's the overriding question right now. And look, I think you know, up until at least as recently as this week, there was some debate, kind of saying, do we sort of just go complementary pieces and and double down on what we've got, or do we need maybe a bit something a bit more substantial from a, from an everyday player perspective to try to you know add another piece to the lineup and see see where that goes. And and I think that's justifiable, right? You 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 know obviously you can tweak at the margins and show the faith in your guys, believe in those guys. But let's say you know it's a it's a left fielder who moves Dalton Varsho to more of a, a part time and complementary role for the rest of this year, and Whit Merrifield's more regularly at second, or vice versa. It's a second baseman who shores up that spot defensively, and you know Whit's playing a little bit more left field. I think that can have a cascading effect because that then improves your bench by having you know Merrifield or Varsho or, or Kerr or whoever available a little bit more often for them. Um, Shai, when it comes to, you know, we've had a couple of trade deadlines now with this front office in place, a couple as sellers, a couple as buyers now. What have you been able to learn about their approach and their philosophy to, to this time of year that informs what you're thinking the, these next couple of days? Well, look, I mean, we've seen a few different approaches, right? And I'd almost put them into a, a few different categories. There was the 2021, which was, disrupted obviously by the pandemic season it was weird all around and there was uh, everyone was sort of being careful we saw the blue jays make a handful of smaller moves to uh, augment the roster uh, you know i think that was that was certainly one way to go about it uh, the second one was where they went a little bit bigger and that was in 21 with the acquisition of jose barrios and that was a major swing but that was for a team that really needed that and as well as trying to insert a piece for a bit of a longer term with a bit of a eye on the longer term. Yeah. And then we see in the 2022 and 2016 where it's complementary pieces without sort of disrupting the core, but adding a little bit in and around the team. And, uh, you know, within those buckets, one, one consistent trade is that they've tried to sort of make deals that have shorter term, uh, something for the short term, but also something a bit longer term. And I wonder this year if they're going to be capable of doing that again, or if it's, uh, you know, this one ends up looking a little bit more complimentary rentals and building off that. It's a it's an interesting spot to be in, and I know most of the names that get focused on at deadline time are the rental types, and I think that's that's completely logical because we got to filter this giant player pool in some way, and obviously selling teams are going to be more willing to um, you know deal a guy who's about to hit free agency, whereas a guy with control is going to be a little bit more expensive. Uh, Shy, when you look at where this team's farm system is at, they entered this season, you know, in the middle third of the league, like roughly around a league average system depending on where you look somewhere in the you know 14 to 20 range not great but not terrible uh it got off to a, a cold start a lot of their guys especially in the higher levels of the minors have started to come on a little bit here where do you think the blue jays comfort level is in continuing to deal from that prospect pool after having dipped into it a couple times now and you know the they had to pay the freight on that a, a little bit this year with the lack of of depth they've had at triple a is this a front office that's willing 
willing to continue pulling from that group? And obviously you, you know, when it comes to the, the sea level prospects or, or things like that, of course the answer is yes, but I'm thinking more of the, you know, bigger ticket items in that system. Yeah. I mean, I'd be, I'd be very surprised if we saw them move, say a, a Ricky Tiedemann or a Ravis Martinez. Right. And that's, that's on the, the top end of the, the prospect list right now. Uh, you know, I just, you need you one. You've got to be sure about certain guys, but you know you need to have some ceiling in your system, and and those two guys are are the real ceiling prospects right now. But I think if you look at what the Blue Jays have done a fair bit, and this is what a lot of teams do, is you look at who's coming up for forty man roster eligibility, and how do you set up your forty man roster? How do you consolidate some of that talent for with guys who might not make your forty man roster or will cause you to release uh, to release or make moves on other people you know how do you alleviate some some looming 40 man roster uh, stresses and i think that if you look at the composition of the system right now that you see some obvious depth in the middle infield especially at the at the triple a level and you know to me i think it's interesting that they've got that level of depth and you know i know that leo Jimenez, an infielder double a new hampshire is someone that you know is probably on the cusp of a promotion or someone they'd like to promote, but there aren't enough reps right now to go around to Buffalo. So how do you create that? So that to me is the logical sort of prospect pool you trade from. And the other thing we've seen the Blue Jays in recent years uh, at times use players who end up in the futures game as maybe a bit of a showcase uh, ahead of that. And Yasser Zuluata has been there twice and, you know, Sam Rebersa ended up at the Futures game this year. Look, Sam Rebersa is a guy I think could be your AAA depth from a starting pitching perspective next year and someone who could come up as a call-up and maybe fill in a bit more substantially down the road. And so I think the Blues would be cautious on, on, on moving someone like him. But, you know, that starting pitching is, is an important currency at this time of year. Uh, the Blues have some interesting starters at AA. And, you know, so I think those are two pools that we could potentially see the Blue Jays deal from in the coming days. Uh, speaking of starters and trades, by the way, the news coming down as we were talking to you, Shy, that Lucas Giolito is going to start tomorrow against the Blue Jays. Uh, he traveled directly to Toronto rather than go meet the Angels in Detroit. He's going to get the ball tomorrow. So a little bit of extra excitement there. Were you uh, obviously we can't control the weather and rain and things like that as a, a baseball fan. Were you a little disappointed we're not getting Shohei pitching here in Toronto on the weekend? Yeah, you absolutely want to see him, right? He's as entertaining a player and a talent as there is in baseball. So I was certainly hoping to, to watch him pitch. Uh, I'm sure the Blue Jays don't mind that they don't have to face him. Uh, the coming days, well, you know, Lucas Giolito uh, is pretty good as well. And, uh, but, you know, like that's, that's part of it. I'm still excited to watch Shohei Otani hit and, uh, and run the bases and, and, and do what he does. Yeah, and maybe your your odds of taking two of these games are, are a little better. And, I, and like you kind of laid out in talking about that trade, uh, a little extra oomph on that series because the Angels are are chasing you a bit here. Um, the, after the Angels are here, the Orioles are going to be here for four, then three against the Red Sox. It's a pretty high leverage part of the schedule here now in the American League East and American League wildcard race. Um, an element of this is going to be at some point uh, this week, not this weekend, but early next week, 
week. Hyunjin Ryu will be activated. He has to, that decision has to be made by August 3rd. Um, Shy, I, I know we've kicked around a couple different possibilities. As we near that date, do you have a sense of where the Blue Jays are leaning in terms of how they'll handle that? Or is that too dependent on what happens by Tuesday? I think they're still, you know, exploring a couple different options. The, there seems to be some momentum for him, <clears throat> excuse me, making a start at some point, you know, to alleviate the 17 games in 17 days. That certainly makes some sense there. And they're obviously watching how other elements play out. Uh, one of the challenges, of course, of having a six-man rotation is that only means a, a seven-man bullpen. So, you know, the, that, that does create a, a little bit of uncomfortableness uh, on the roster. It's certainly not ideal, but I think the Blue Jays to some degree have been running a, a seven-man bullpen with how infrequently they've used Mitch White uh, in recent weeks. So th- th- there's certainly ways around that, but th- this is really interesting for the Blue Jays in a number of different ways. Obviously, you can't be 100% certain what you're going to get from Hyunjin Ryu once he does return. Although, in talking to someone who saw him pitch against Syracuse, uh, they thought they were really impressed with what they saw. They thought the breaking ball was really good. They thought the velocity was strong. They thought the location was very strong. And that is obviously uh, that obviously bodes well for the Jays. But again, you can't be 100% sure what you're going to get. Uh, and then, you know, you also don't want to risk disrupting some momentum. You know, Alec Manoa had a very nice start against the Mariners the other day. A lot of pluses slider generated a lot more swing and miss than it had all season. So maybe he's on track with something there. You see Kikuchi has past two outings have definitely been encouraging. So the Blue Jays definitely have a lot in the mix right now there. And they're trying to do right by, by six different guys who potentially have six different needs and that, that, that that's a difficult needle to thread. It certainly is. And we'll see, you know, I, I think, again, at least with the 40-man components, some stuff could shake itself out by Tuesday. But how to handle those six starters may not. And if it does shake itself out by Tuesday, that probably means someone's gotten hurt. So that's not how you want to uh, – you don't want to have your hand forced in, in how that gets handled. Uh, Shy, I'll see you down at the park this weekend. Uh, enjoy the Angels series. And we'll talk to you again here Monday or Tuesday to set up the deadline. All right. Appreciate it, Blake. Shai Davidi, MLB insider at Sportsnet. Uh, again, I, I dropped a little note there in the middle of the Shy conversation that uh, the Angels have announced, um, this comes via Sam Blum uh, of The Athletic, that Lucas Giolito just went right to Toronto instead of joining the Angels in Detroit, and he's going to get the start on Friday. So if you're looking ahead to this series, uh, this is assuming the Angels don't further juggle the rotation. Uh, the read on it is that Chase Silseth is out of the rotation, and that's who spot Lucas Giolito's taking. If that holds true, the probables for this weekend are Kevin Gosman against Lucas Giolito, Alec Manoa against Reed Detmers, and Jose Brios against Tyler Anderson, uh, a pretty spicy one. And the Angels in doubleheader action today against the Tigers, uh, trying to make up that rainout game yesterday. That's of note, not just because the Tiger or the Angels are so close to the Blue Jays in the wild card and could be a game closer or a game further at the end of today. Uh, but also because that means the angels are coming in this series, maybe with a, a little bit of a 
heavier used bullpen. We'll see how those starts go today. They do have Shohei Otani and Patrick Sandoval starting those two games. So two guys who can give them some length, but coming off of a doubleheader, uh, even with the 27th band today, maybe the angels are uh, a little tired at the back end. We'll see if Giolito can give them some length. Now let's see how someone down around the angels feels about that trade and everything it signals. We're joined now by Riley Breckenridge. He's the drummer in the band thrice. Uh, he is the proprietor of classic grit whose shirt I'm wearing right now. He's the former host of the productive outs podcast, and he is a big, big angels guy. Riley, how are you doing this morning? I am good and kind of confused about, uh, what has transpired in the last 24 hours. Now, are you confused because you don't like the move or because Artie Moreno has finally chosen a direction and been aggressive and, you know, not he, – he basically has stopped this several-year run of just towing the line of, eh. Well, what is the confusing part for you here? Um, if, if you're a betting person and the Angels have like a 15% chance of making the playoffs, um, and they've got a they've got a really rough schedule ahead of them. Um, all teams that are vying for playoff spots, uh, you would think that maybe the chances of making the playoffs are not very good. In which case, uh, making this move and mortgaging a part of the the future for a fifteen percent chance at a playoff spot just seems kind of foolish to me. It also seems like a last chance gasp to keep Shohei around because they think that maybe sneaking into the last wild card spot and losing <laughs> is going to be enough to convince him to stay in Anaheim. Um, I'm a pessimist, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> well, look, the the Angels have given you a lot of reason for pessimism over the years. It's not as if this has been the league's best front office and the league's most coherent owner strategy and things like that. Um, I guess if we can... Put the pessimism about the outcome aside a little bit. From the fan perspective, do you at least appreciate, hey, we got to keep Shohei, and even though we've messed it up to this point, we got to turn over every possible stone to make a push here and keep the greatest player any of us will ever see. Can, can you if can you separate the Artie Moreno of it to, to get there with these moves? I can. I can for a minute. Um, they are definitely a better team today than they were yesterday. Um yeah, I mean, getting uh, the best rental starter like uh, Giolito is is huge, and they obviously needed some bullpen help because that's kind of been uh, a sore spot all year. Uh, and getting Lopez is is huge as well. Um, and then hopefully Trout comes back healthy, Drury comes back healthy, and maybe they can make a push. But um, is that going to be enough to keep Otani? is making the playoffs enough to satiate um, this fan base that hasn't been to the playoffs since 2014. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's I, a... I just wish, I wish there was a, a plan. It doesn't seem like there's a plan. Well, it, it doesn't seem like there, or it, it seems like there's a plan now, but it's a plan that they just decided on this week. And there should have been a plan the second you acquired Shohei Otani to go alongside Mike Trout. And you had the two probably best players of this generation on the same team. Maybe, uh, maybe that would have been a better plan to have uh, Riley. The, the last little bit of trying to appreciate everything that Shohei Otani is doing while also 
I don't know, maybe waiting for the other shoe to drop in terms of a trade or him leaving in free agency. What has that been like for you as an Angels fan and as a baseball fan? Because I'd imagine the Shohei of it all is incredibly special day to day, especially as an Angels fan versus just an average baseball fan. But that has, you know, that specter of his future has been hanging over everything. How has that been for you day to day? It's been uh, it's been something that I thought I've been thinking about a lot more than I thought I would at this point. Uh, my kids are pretty invested in it now. They love Shohei. They want to watch uh, every Shohei start, and uh, they want to know what he's doing and his at bats. And um, I've got that tied to it now. Obviously, I'm blown away by his ability. Um, so I try to catch as much of him uh, playing as possible. Uh, we tried to get tickets to the last homestand, and they were a little, a little expensive. But I did it with the thought in mind, like, hey, this might be the last chance that I see him pitch and hit in an Angels uniform um, at, at Angel Stadium. Um, so now, I mean, I feel a little bit better. There's still a chance that um, he's going to walk in the off season. In fact, I would, I would say there's a pretty good chance of that. But. Um, at least he's going to be around and they're going to make a push, but I've been through too many angel seasons to have too much hope in it. So I'm just fingers crossed and forging ahead here. Yeah. It's you, you can feel the long-term damage uh, of Artie Moreno in your, in your voice here, Riley. Um, uh, so the flip side <laughs> of this, uh, obviously that, that's where you're at right now. Had you started to come to terms with, Hey, if they do trade Shohei Otani, you know, that like, understanding it a little bit strategically and like, like would you even bother to get excited for the prospects or, or would it be like, I'd imagine if I were in that situation, um, you know, as a fan, not as a job, cause I couldn't just quit my job, but um, the like, man, I, I need a break from this team. If you, even if you get nice prospects for Shohei Otani, like where had you made peace with the idea of him potentially being dealt or was that still a really difficult thing to think about? I figured it, he was going to be dealt 100%. Um, and I was ready to check out as soon as as soon as they made that move. Because really, I mean, they've been kind of fun to watch this year. They've been frustrating, though, and they've been crippled by injuries uh, lately. But they've been fun to watch. But I would watch Shohei play in any uniform. Um, I would tune in on MLB TV to watch every at-bat that I possibly could and every start that I could because – He's just an amazing player. Um, and I had kind of convinced myself that, yeah, you know, if if they're thinking long-term about uh, what they have with this team right now uh, and Shohei leaves, they've got to do something to set them up for the future. And the best way to do that is to trade Otani for some prospects, maybe one uh, major league ready guy. Um, and, I was just kind of okay with that. Um, but now I don't have to worry about that. Now he's here. Uh, so, yeah, now he's here to stay at least for the rest of the season. Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez are in. Um, you mentioned there are a couple guys you hope to maybe get back healthy. Uh, Anthony Rendon, I don't know that that's ever going to happen at this point, but Brandon Drury, Gio Urshela, uh, a couple of catchers. Everyone is on the IL for this team on the on the position player and relief pitcher side. So um, as much as we can't bank on that stuff with certainty, some help is 
theoretically coming. The big one, of course, being Mike Trout, who had uh, surgery to repair a fractured hamate bone um, uh, not too, too long ago, has only just started to progress to light baseball activities now. Um, Where is your... Like, as much as Angels fans have been tortured, you have just gotten to watch a decade of Mike Trout and a couple of years of Shohei Otani. Um, Your confidence level in, and I don't mean this from like a medical perspective, just from a a baseball perspective, Mike Trout coming back and being some version of Mike Trout that can really continue to push this team forward in the stretch run. Um, Where are you at just in terms of Mike Trout confidence overall after what was a down season by his standards, still a good season overall, uh, and now adding the the handmade injury in there? Yeah, it it was a bummer because he was kind of scuffling for a good portion of the season, and, and right as he started to figure it out, and he was even talking about how, oh, I feel a little bit more like myself now. I'm seeing the ball better. I feel like my swing is more locked in. Then he gets hurt. Um, I have a decent amount of confidence in his ability to come back from this and uh, and be productive. I feel like for some reason with him, it's the lower body injuries that take forever to heal. And then the upper body stuff, like he broke his hand or a finger or something, um, sliding head first into second. And he came back from that pretty quickly. So I think whatever he's got going on uh, upstairs uh, kind of points it, itself towards him getting stuff back and rolling pretty pretty quickly here. Um, I'd be worried if it was a knee or a shin or something like that. Speaking of shins, we've got uh, Rendon, who's been on the DL forever. I'm not holding my breath for him coming back, by the way. Yeah, I mean, at this point, even when he does come back, it's been the effectiveness has been uh, been up and down. Okay, Riley. So uh, I know as part of the 20th anniversary of the artist in the ambulance, you guys in, in Thrice are doing a, or just kind of wrapped up a North American tour. I know you've got some festivals and stuff. Then you have a stretch in Australia where uh, I don't know what it's going to be like trying to keep up with uh, with a baseball team while you're in Australia. But um, playoff time. You guys are back on tour uh, around the U.S., and people should check that out if they're listening from any U.S. cities. But what is your game plan for Angels make the playoffs and you're on tour? How do you how do you juggle that? Um, I do my best. I've, <laughs> I've had uh, times where I've taken an iPad and been streaming a game on stage. Uh, <laughs> and I'll check it between songs. <laughs> I've had situations where I'll, I'll have my my tech uh, keep an eye on the score and like flat do little flashcards with the score updates. Um, I try to catch as many games as I can, whether it's in the middle of the show or, or not. Um, and when they won it all in 2002, I was actually on tour as well. And I remember we couldn't stream back then, but I was like <laughs> doing whatever I could to, to get a, a little bit of the action, even like, uh, running like running to a sports bar across uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, to catch uh, the end of a game like immediately after loadout. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm a minute to win it. Uh, this is, I don't mean this in a year old way, but I'm curious as to uh, what makes you like you guys are touring. And, and I know artists in the ambulance was, was your third album. So not your debut or anything like that, but the fact that you're touring the 20th mm-hmm. anniversary of one of your biggest successes. And that came just after the last angels world series win, which of those things makes you feel older, the 2002 world series or the fact that you're doing 20th anniversary tours of some of your first albums. Oh, I am old for the record. <laughs> um, revisiting a record that came out 20 years ago definitely makes me feel older. And getting prepared for this tour, and our, our sound has evolved a lot, a lot over the last 20 years, and it's a lot less uh, metal-influenced, and the song tempos are a, a bit lower. So going back to revisit all this stuff and having the bump up my internal clock to to play songs at the speed and um the amount of notes that i try to squeeze into songs um it was challenging it definitely made me feel old but uh it's like anything else like the more work you put in the easier it gets generally Look, man, if Tim Salmon could could turn it back on and be as good as he ever was uh, for that World Series championship team, uh, Kevin Apier, <laughs> a bunch of old guys on that team. I'm sure I'm sure you guys are, are killing it. Uh, Riley, thanks so much. And I, and I really do. I hope it doesn't come at a, the expense of the Blue Jays wildcard spot. But I do hope that that issue juggling Angels playoff games and your tour in September or in October, rather, is something you have to deal with. I, I'm hoping for the best for the Angels from here. Uh, thanks, Blake. I appreciate it. Uh, Riley Breckenridge of Thrice of the Productive Outs podcast, one of the OG baseball podcasts and proprietor of Classic Grit, uh, kind of baseball and culture where as well. Um, love talking to Riley about the Angels. You can hear the the toll of having cheered for that franchise for the last uh, however long uh, in his voice there. Now, they're not. Look, they, we just talked about it. They won a championship in 2002. It's not like this team has uh, not won a championship since 1993 or anything like that. But in the time since that World Series, um, you know, they had that kind of 2005 to 2009 era of still being pretty uh, the Vlad senior teams, the Irvin Santana years, things like that. Um, They were capable, but since about 2010, it's been a, a tough go here. Reminder that Mike Trout has played in three playoff games in his career. Uh, It's been a tough go for angels fans. And I I sincerely mean that uh, for Riley and for baseball that I hope they pull this off. I hope we get to see Shohei Otani and Mike Trout in playoff games because that's good for baseball. It's good for all of us as fans and, you know, a Mike Trout and Shohei Otani team not having any playoff reps together and Shohei leaves. It's a, it's going to be a weird blip in, in baseball history. If it goes that way, having said that, You don't want it to come at the expense of the Toronto Blue Jays who hold right now the final wild card spot. The Jays can help themselves out by maybe getting out of that wild card picture and taking a couple off the Baltimore Orioles next week. They can help themselves out by uh, clearing Houston and Tampa Bay. So they're not the team on the fringe of that wild card race. Uh, They could also help themselves out this weekend by taking a couple off the Los Angeles angels themselves and giving themselves some breathing room. I mentioned it a little earlier. Lucas Giolito is going to start tomorrow for the angels per Sam Blum of the athletic that sets up the matchups for this series as, and assuming nothing else changes on the Angels side coming out of a double header today. And, and as they work in uh, the new pieces to the roster, Kevin Gosman against Lucas Giolito, 
Friday's game, by the way, is an Apple TV exclusive game. So no Sportsnet television broadcast. You can check that out on Apple TV. You can check it out at the park, of course. Ben Schulman and Madison Shipman will be on the call for you on the Sportsnet radio network. So a couple ways to still access that one. Apple TV exclusive. Saturday is Alec Manoa against Reed Detmers. Sunday is Jose Brios against Tyler Anderson. And a reminder that that is a special noon start. That's because I believe it's the Peacock game and it slides into that nice prime time slot uh, over in Europe. So uh, a couple schedule quirks this weekend to keep an eye on. Let's take a break. When we come back, the Jays could use a little bit more base running punch. Do you agree? Mike Petriello of MLB.com does, thinks the Jays should be focused at least a little bit on adding a speed dynamic as part of uh, their deadline purchasing. We'll take a break. We'll talk to Mike Petriello of MLB.com. On the other side, as Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jason Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, joining us now, Mike Petriello of MLB.com. How you doing, buddy? Are you playing the Aquabats for me, Blake? Buddy, I, that is tremendous. I've got you covered, man. I, I know I know where the itches are. I know what to scratch. You know what I'm saying? Man, we, we had band practice the other night, and I showed up in a fresh new Aquabats shirt. It's like you were there with us. Unbelievable. I didn't know. I don't think I knew you were in a band. Oh, yeah. I'm in, I'm in a non-baseball band with base, baseball people. Michael Clare from MLB, uh, Davey Andrews from Fangrass, Dan Epstein from Baseball Prospectus, and myself. We play in a New York band called the Subway Ghosts, but we do not play baseball songs. It's kind of weird. All right. It's like the band Modern Baseball only has like one lyric about baseball in their in their entire repertoire. This is, uh, yeah. Look, it turns out that you are a fully formed person with more than one thing about yourself. I mean, I have children and been musicians and yeah, I got a whole bunch of stuff going on. <laughs> uh, you've got a lot going on right now because it's almost the the trade deadline. And I know you've had a few pieces up at, at MLB.com. You were looking at the Shohei chase for 62, not the Shohei chase to get traded. But we now know that Shohei is staying put. The Angels not only, you know, leak yesterday that he's not going anywhere and they're going to sit tight, but then they prove it by going out and getting Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez, a pair of rentals that'll potentially push them into the tack and cost them a couple big prospects. Uh, what was your reaction seeing that one come down last night? Um, I was absolutely surprised for a number of reasons. I mean, if they're going to keep Otani, then you have to add around him. Like, obviously, that makes sense. But it is so risky to do it this early because, you know, you look at the rest of the schedule. I mean, as you know, they're coming to Toronto, right? They have a doubleheader today, which if they get swept by the Tigers uh, after that, that would be the funniest possible outcome, <laughs> I think. But then they're going to Toronto for a couple of games and then they're going to Atlanta. It, this is not like a smooth entry into the deadline. So there's a possibility. I think they have six games left before the deadline. They go like one and five. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, we just went all in and we traded two of our three top prospects for, you know, 10 or so starts of Lucas Giolito. And now we are doomed for the next decade. 
but it's like you're you're stuck if you don't trade him that you have to add so like good on them for doing that i just don't think they're good enough and i'm not sure it's going to end that great it's also hard because no matter what they buy at the deadline last night and the rest of the way here the so much of what they're going to be able to do is well you have like the longest injured list in all of baseball right now you've got so much money on that injured list you've got so much of your everyday lineup you know your best possible everyday lineup on there and we have no idea with a lot of those guys some of them we don't know if they're going to be back to the versions of themselves ever you know Mike Trout a ham eight bone is one of the the toughest baseball injuries to to bounce back from um so this yeah I think I think this has the potential to be a huge cautionary tale down the stretch or like the best story in baseball over the last two months. Uh, I mean, I know you're an MLB.com guy. You're also a huge baseball fan. The Shohei leading this team that decided to go for it and them making a, an earnest push and getting there. I mean, the downside is obvious, but I think the upside is also, it, it's pretty fun for all of us, right? I mean, just in terms of a, what is good for baseball story, like what is good for baseball is for Shohei Otani to be in the playoffs, you know? So if they go and they make these moves and they play well and they sneak in as the third wild card, that makes the road a little tougher. But, you know, we saw last year, right? The Phillies went and went to the World Series despite not winning a ton of games. So as a uh, as an impartial baseball observer, I really, really hope this works. As a baseball analyst who looks at the way things actually are, I can't say I have a great deal of confidence in it actually working. And that that is in part about the remaining schedule, right? So like I said, you know, Toronto, Atlanta, still have three games left against Baltimore, and they have 12 games left against the Rays and the Rangers and also three against Houston. That is tough. That is really tough. And the team to this point just hasn't been that good. And as much as I like Lucas Giolito, uh, not only as a player, from everything I've read, he's like a tremendous person. He's not a game changer. You know, he's a good, solid, somewhat above average starter, but he is not like a Jacob deGrom level ace. He is not by himself going to get them into the playoffs when they weren't there before. And they didn't give up nothing for him, right? Like Edgar Caro is this catcher. He's 20 years old, but he's like their second prospect. He's highly regarded. And for a couple of starts at Giolito, if they don't get to the playoffs, they have really torched their system for some time. Do you see a trade like that adjusting the market for rentals here where, um, you know, they just gave up two. I mean, Kiro is the the headline item, but the, the other player in that deal is, depending on where you look, anywhere from their number three to number nine prospect, um, that type of a return and the angels taking on the like 5 million still owed to, to Giolito and to Lopez here. Um, do you see that adjusting the market for rentals the next couple days at all? Or is Giolito and the angel situation? Like, are those too much of outliers on their own? I think it's very clear. It's going to be a seller's market. Cause you look at the other trade yesterday, right? The Dodgers traded no Syndergaard to Cleveland for Ahmed Rosario. I know Rosario has not had a good year. He's been atrocious on defense. Like no arguing that. He's not a high-value player at this point. But Noah Syndergaard was unpitchable and was very likely never throwing a pitch for the Dodgers again. I'd kind of forgotten he was still in the organization. <laughs> and for him, for two months of Noah Syndergaard, the Dodgers got a 27-year-old who smashes lefties. Like, even in this year, he's had a terrible year. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of guys he's hitting lefties better than. Uh, Randy Rosarena, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and J.D. Martinez. They got that guy for two months of Noah Syndergaard? Even with Rosario's flaws, that says to me the seller's market is going to be out of control. And what I think is going to be the most fascinating is you're going to have these teams that are kind of on the bubble of like, will they, won't they? I think the Cubs are a really good example of this, right? They have played decently lately. 
they're still sort of in the mix. They probably don't want to sell. But then I think maybe they're looking at the market and going, oh my God, I wish we could sell. What could we get for Marcus Stroman if that's what you can get for Noah Syndergaard? And I think that's going to be the real like sweet spot for a lot of these teams is we shouldn't sell, but we really want to because I think we could clean up. It's a it's a tough one and it's a seller's market for the reasons you laid out and because, hey, it looks like right now at least a lot of these fringe teams that maybe the Cubs decide to sell, but the Angels have decided to buy if, say, the Mariners decide to buy as well. That's another potential seller kind of nudging themselves over into the other column and, and then the National League races is wild. Everything is is so tight in there. Um, when you look at, let, let's keep it on the American League here with the Angels loading up a little bit. Um, you know, the Yankees and Red Sox are, are in that race as well. Toronto, of course. Um, who are you most intrigued by to, to see how they play, how they handle the, the next week here uh, on the in the American League playoff picture? Well, I don't want to suck up to you too much, Blake. Yeah, it's probably you do. the Blue Jays. Yeah. It's probably the Blue Jays. Listen, the Blue Jays and the Dodgers, I, partially because I just watched them play a series against one another, right? But I kind of came away from that with very similar feelings about these teams in that they've obviously got a lot of talent. They've obviously got a lot of flaws. And I don't think I've seen either team really play up to the level I expected. It's been a lot of stop and start. And yet, at the end of the day, they both have like 11 games over 500. Like they've both had good seasons without actually getting to the level I would have thought. And if you look at the Jays, and then you might remember about five weeks or so ago, they played Miami uh, and they got smashed, right? 11 nothing. It was a, a total blowout. If you look at what's happened since that day, uh, they have allowed the fewest runs in the American League, uh, actually all of Major League Baseball, and they've got the second best record in the American League behind only Houston. They're, they're playing really well. And if you think about the trajectory of the Jays over like the last eight years, you know, you had the highs of like the Bautista and Carnacion era. And then, you know, it kind of fell into disrepair for a little bit as you were waiting for all the famous sons of famous players to mm -hmm. arrive. And they did. And they're mostly pretty good. And it seems like this is the moment you've been building towards. Right. And if you're not going to support those guys now, uh, when are you? And I really feel like they're going to be a team that has to go out there and prove they're in it for real. Now, who who that is, obviously, there's a million different ways you could go. They probably need another starter. A right-handed hitting outfielder would be wonderful. But I, I think this is the moment. I don't think the Blue Jays can let this deadline go quietly if they want to prove that this whole era of famous young sons uh, is for real. It's also, you know, Vlad and Bo and those guys continue to get more expensive. You have a bunch of players who are hitting free agency after this season. So this is, you know, you're set up for this to be a year where, yeah, you, you push in. And even though the system is in, you know, the class of the league, you've got some guys who have turned it on lately and might have some, some value you mentioned the right-handed hitting outfielder. I think we could also make the case for, you know, a second baseman that just happens to push Whit Merrifield to the outfield a little bit more often the Jays defense at second base and on the right side of the infield in general has been very bad near, but arguably the worst in the league, depending on which defensive metric you look at uh, the other thing that you think the Jays should at least factor into who they're adding. You had a piece up at MLB.com this morning, five contenders with a need for speed at the deadline within that you, you note that the blue Jays are 18th in your MLB.com team speed metric, 16th in base running value, 16th in stolen bases. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays fans will, of course, uh, classify them as one of the toot bland leaders, just a, a lot of outs on the base paths. Um, why do you see speed being uh, an important element for the, for the Jays to add here? And how do you, how do you effectively add speed if you're not, 
you know, like it's one thing to get a guy who can pinch run a little bit, but how do you address this as a team need if you're not shopping in the, you know, higher tiers of the, the deadline market? Yeah, speed is an interesting thing, especially this year. You know, as stolen bases have become more of a factor as the rules have changed to reward speed more. I mean, you look at the Yankees, I think a big part of their issues is how slow and old and unathletic they are. You look at the Reds, why are they overperforming weak pitching? Well, it's partially because of what they do on the bases. And I think the Blue Jays are in an interesting spot here. They're not bad at this. They're, you know, middle of the pack, mediocre. But obviously there's limits to what they can do. You're not going to magically say that Guerrero and Bell and Alejandro Kirk are going to get faster. They are not fast runners, and you're obviously not going to replace them because they're all valuable for a number of different reasons. Kiermaier's fast, and Chapman's fast, and you're not replacing Springer or Bichette. So it's like, what what can you do? And I think you kind of hit on it earlier. Uh, the uh, the outfield slash second base situation where you can have Merrifield playing one or the other. That's that's where you do it. You know, Espinal really has not had a good year. I, I kind of had hopes for him as being something of a breakout guy early last year, and he was, uh, and it just hasn't worked out. And, you know, BGO is more of a, a backup for me than a starter. So it's like you can get a second baseman and play Merrifield in the outfield. You can get an outfield and play Merrifield at second base. I think either one of those is fine. But if you can do that and add a little bit of speed as well as a little bit of power uh, for sure, then that's going to help you not only in getting to the playoffs, but in the playoffs. Because speed is the kind of thing where it's like you don't need to have it every single play. But in the postseason, when you need it, when you need that guy to score from second on a single or to steal that big base, you're going to wish you had it. That's like a weapon I think teams in this postseason, the first postseason under these new rules, are really going to take advantage of because it's going to matter more than ever in October, certainly compared to July. And it's going to be interesting to see just how much of a premium uh, teams defensively put on that in terms of how they how they line up, you know, pitchers and the pitch clock, which catcher you play over the other catcher for teams that uh, have a, a couple different options there it's pretty fascinating um mike we we've on this show we we've gone over a, a bunch of the potential right-handed hitting outfield candidates on the market if the jays were to address the second base situation instead and, and wait make whit merrifield more of a regular outfielder are there names of interest to you that that can play a decent second base i, I know paul DeYoung young is uh, a name that's out there tim anderson with some question marks about you know just how back he is or, or just what the path is to him being back um are are there any infield types that you like for for the Blue Jays or or just in general for a team looking to shore that up? I think it's kind of thin, honestly. I, I I think you might end up with something like you just said, where you end up with a shortstop who you're saying, okay, he can play second base. Um, it's it's tough because if you are a team that has one of those guys, you're probably not trading them, and if you don't have one of those guys, it probably means you're not playing very well. <laughs> you know, like Rosario probably wouldn't have fit there because the defense is so poor. Um, the Cardinals are an interesting team to me because they've got a lot of middle infielders and it's not quite clear what they're going to do with them. You look at Nolan Gorman, Tommy Edmond, Brandon Donovan, obviously three very different players. You know, Edmond's the, the best defender. Gorman's got the most power. Some of those guys are going to build around, but I could see them trying to move Edmond. I'm not sure the Blue Jays have the pieces to do it, but if you can get a guy like that who can move around a couple places as well, very good defender, good contact hitter, I kind of like him in uh, Blue Jays blue. Again, if, if the Cardinals move him, it's so unclear what they're going to do. They keep saying they're going to trade guys and I believe them, but they've never been in this position before, or at least not in the last, you know, 20 years. So it's so difficult to say, here's what I think 
the Cardinals will do just because they've never had to do this before. It's a very unusual situation there. It is. And, you know, Edmonds dealing with the the minor wrist injury right now. But, yeah, a guy who adds some speed, can bounce around the diamond, a little bit of uh, controllability. Uh, I believe he can't be a free agent until, until 2026. That's something that the, the Blue Jays have uh, put a premium on in acquisitions similar to Whit Merrifield uh, last year. Uh, another name in St. Louis, and I'll, I'll ask you about him just, you know, hey, he, maybe he's a fit with, with the Toronto Blue Jays, but Canadian baseball fans would probably be interested to see where Tyler O'Neill goes anyway. Um, he's had a lot of trouble staying on the field, but when he's on the field, is he a right-handed out, hitting outfielder that you, you think could help a team, whether it's, you know, Blue Jays, Dodgers, another team that need some righty help, uh, uh, whoever it may be. Is Tyler O'Neill a guy on your radar these next couple of days? Well, he's definitely a right-handed hitting outfielder. That that much is for sure. <laughs> that, that is true. That I can confirm. Yeah, I, I always hesitate to be like, okay, well, the Canadian guy has to go to the Canadian team. You know, like that's just so reductive and it never works out that way. I like him as a fit, though. I mean, he's he's a guy you could probably get. I don't want to say like buying low, but certainly not at the peak of his power. So two years ago in 2021, you know, every year I do these top 10 positional rankings for MLB Network, and I'm pretty sure headed into 2022, I had him as the number one left fielder in the game because he had hit 34 home runs and he was coming off like gold glove defensive season. And a lot's happened since then. Injuries, to be sure. You may remember like the first week of the season where um, he maybe or maybe not didn't hustle as hard as he could against the Braves. And he got thrown out. And then his manager kind of completely threw him under the bus, even though, you know, he's coming off like a, a leg or a back injury. Anyway, he's been hurt most of the season. He's been back for a week. Uh, don't worry about his performance for a week. But what I did realize the other day is he was trying to beat out uh, an infield grounder. And if you look at his speed as measured by Stackest, it was his fastest run of the entire season, hmm. right? And what that says to me, he wasn't even safe. But what that says to me is, well, that's a guy who might be healthy again. You know, if he is over the back injuries and now he's able to run faster than he had the entirety of the season, he's still only 28 years old. I still think the glove can be good. It is kind of a buy low. You're taking a risk. But that might be the kind of guy who, you know, you turn into something because, man, there's been a lot of Cardinals outfielders who have left St. Louis and found success elsewhere. <laughs> and maybe he's the next one. Maybe. And, uh, hey, if things go well, one more year of ARB control, if whatever his, his next ARB figure uh, is, isn't too rich for your blood, uh, if it works out. And if it doesn't work out, you could just walk away by non-tendering them. But that maybe, you know, affects the the prospect capital you're, you're willing to give. Mike, quickly, before I let you go, um, there are going to be, 3 million relief pitchers traded in the next couple of days. Uh, they all are roughly the same tier because relief pitching is as fungible as it gets. Uh, but Carlos Hernandez is a guy that you like, despite the surface numbers, not being uh, terrific. What do you like about Hernandez? Yeah, I actually think you're going to see a lot of that. Uh, got relief pitchers with very high ERAs getting traded that blow your mind. Like, for example, when the uh, Oakland traded their 857 ERA reliever to Baltimore <laughs> uh, because they, they like what they see under the hood. You're going to see this a lot. And I like Carlos Hernandez mostly because I really enjoy telling people, hey, over the last two years, this guy is 0 and 11 with an ERA of nearly six and zero saves. And I think he's really good <laughs> because I think that blows people's minds. Uh, what's happened here is he was terrible last year, right? ERA of nearly eight. Uh, we, I think he walked like almost as many as he struck out, which is awful. 
despite the fact he throws like 100 miles an hour. And this year it's been very different. He's actually throwing harder. Um, he is striking out like four or five times as many as he's walked. And even if you look at his ERA, like he is he is down to uh, 378 this year. And if you look at his strikeout rate, he has more than doubled it. It is the largest increase from last year. And that's the kind of guy I love. The guy, like the guy with the under the hood improvements who's still only 26. And then you get to tell people we traded for a guy who was 0 and 11, but we think he's good. That's the most fun thing to do, really. Also a guy who can give you length. He's pitched two innings or more pretty regularly for Kansas City uh, this year and last. So maybe you can, uh, maybe he he ticks a couple boxes for you. Mike Petriello, look forward to you giving us the spin on all the guys with ERAs of five and a half who get traded over the next couple of days. Thanks for taking the time out, buddy. Thanks a lot, Blake. Take care. Mike Petriello of MLB.com. Make sure you're checking out all of his work on Twitter and at MLB.com over the next couple of days. Again, he had a piece up uh, today looking at some contenders who could use a little bit of speed. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays being among those as they, you know, sit not as a terrible base running team, but somewhere around average. And you start to look at, well, you know, to Kayla McGrath's article from earlier in the week of why has it felt like they're not that good, even though their record is pretty good. And like Mike said, they've been one of the better teams in baseball of late. Well, part of that is that the little things they were supposed to do haven't quite been there. They're a ho-hum base running team. The outfield defense has been tremendous, but the right right side of the infield uh, defensively has been really rough. Uh, any way you can shore any of that stuff up, uh, you have to examine it. We're going to hear a lot about this over the next couple of days. Of course, the Blue Jays are actually off tonight, so they get a little day to, to rest and reset and take a, another look at the lineup ahead of this series with the Angels and ahead of, yes, the trade deadline. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow to talk all sorts more deadline stuff and continue to tee up this Angels series. Uh, Gunny and McKee are next. Blair and Barker still in the 5-7 to seven slot, even without a game tonight. Uh, thank you to Jeff, Tristan, and Frank behind the glass. Thanks to Caitlin, Robert, Shy, Riley, and Mike Petriello for coming on. Uh, we will continue to talk all sorts of trade stuff, go through your uh, trade target list and things like that. Uh, maybe we'll give you the skinny on new Buffalo Buys and Mason McCoy tomorrow too. Uh, Talk Plus back tomorrow at 10 a.m. on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360.